Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Hey, we are going to be wrapping up our teaching section of this series called The Kingdom of God today. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 13. That's where we're going to be spending some time. But I want us to talk just for a second about that passage that we just read because it has powerful implications behind what it looks like for us to be citizens of the kingdom of God. And what we're really going to be talking about today is the value that we find in the kingdom, that being a part of God's kingdom has extravagant value to us. And so when Paul writes that letter to the Philippians and and he says to them, look, I had all of these accolades, all all of these things that were part of my life that I put all of my stock in, all of my weight behind. I was, you know, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, circumcised on the eighth day. I was persecuting the church. I was zealous in these different things. And he said, all of that stuff, when I met Christ, became waste to me. Uh, and, and the translation we just read said it, be, it became garbage to me. That's a really English cleaned up version of what Paul said. Some of your translations may say it became like dung to me. And even that is a cleaned up version of what Paul might have said uh, when we're thinking about what he's kind of expressing here. Of going, I want you to know that when I think about my relationship with Christ in comparison to all of the things that I really thought life was about, none of that compares to the value that I found in him. Everything that I have in him is far surpassing worth and greatness and value than anything I achieved outside of him. And so that's what Paul's really talking about in that passage. And for us this morning, we kind of understand that when we come into Christ's kingdom, that we put significant value, extreme value on this place that we hold in the kingdom of Christ and that we have this relationship with God that allows us to have access into his kingdom. So the question really is, well, what about you? What does it look like to say in your life, compared to knowing Christ, everything else is worthless? Is that the kind of value that the kingdom of God holds and that your relationship with Jesus holds for you? Or are there other things that you would say, man, I I like Jesus and I'm so thankful that I'll go to heaven when I die, but I've still got all this other stuff that I really want to invest my life and time and energy and focus into. There's other things that has more power and more impact and more value to me than even Christ. Because if we're citizens of God's kingdom, we want to understand what it looks like to to live as citizens of his kingdom. After Jesus came back to life, Luke tells us in the first chapter of Acts that he spent about 40 days with his disciples. And in that period of time, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. You go, if Jesus is spending time focused on teaching about the kingdom of God, the reason behind that is he thinks that there's great value and importance in helping his, uh, his followers know what it means to be citizens of that kingdom. That I'm going to leave you and go back to heaven and you're going to need to know how to live inside of the kingdom. And so that's really what we've been doing in this series is looking at some of the teachings of Jesus to understand how to be citizens of his kingdom. And here's why that's important. If you're taking notes this morning, here's the first thing that you're going to see. People are going to end up thinking most of what they think about Christ because of what they think about Christians. So if you go, whatever people in the world are thinking about Christ, most of what they get, because they're not sitting at home studying the Bible, they're not taking thoughts from what Paul says about who Christ is, they're watching your life. They're watching my life. 
And they're going, what I know about Christ is attached to who you are as you say you follow Christ. So as I'm watching your life unfold, I'm really getting an understanding of who Jesus is and what it means to be a follower of his. And so for us, when we think about that, to know it matters what we think. It matters how we live as Christians. Because the watching world is looking at us and going, you're the best representation I have of who Jesus is. And so if they see Jesus as unimportant, it might be because they look at our lives and see Jesus as unimportant to us. If they see Jesus as powerless, it might be because they look at our lives and don't see any power of the Holy Spirit in us. And so when we live out in our faith, points people to Jesus. So the question we then ask is, do you represent the kingdom well? And most importantly, do you represent the king of the kingdom well? How are you doing as a reflection of who God is in your relationship with him and your relationship with Jesus? That's where we really want to focus in. And so this morning, um, what I want us to see is just kind of an, a review of where we've been. And then we're going to talk about one last thing uh, today that's going to help us grasp a little bit more of this idea and concept of the value of the kingdom of God. So here's kind of where we've been. We started off the series talking about how Jesus came to implement his rule and reign on the earth, but not with his physical kingdom. He brought his culture of the kingdom to earth. And so Jesus taught his disciples, pray, God, when we pray, ask, will your kingdom come and will your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? In the same way that the culture of your kingdom exists in heaven, will you bring that same culture to the earth and do it through us? And so we want to be citizens of your kingdom that bring the culture of your kingdom into this world. Then the second week, we talked about how God is a very patient king. That he, we have a kingdom that we belong to and we have a king that we need to understand. And part of the realm of his kingship or part of the understanding of his kingship is, is that he's patient with us. Not wanting anyone to perish, but all to have eternal life. And so God continues to give chance after chance after chance for people to come into his kingdom and to be part of his kingdom and to belong in his kingdom by accepting his son. And we talked about how God sent messenger after messenger after messenger, and the people denied him and rejected him, and then finally said, I'm going to send my son. They'll listen to him. And in the parable that Jesus taught, what did they do? Well, they killed the son, and they kicked him out. And then God comes back in vengeance, and he destroys all of those people. And so for us, what we learn in that is we go, listen, God is patient. He's going to give you chance after chance after chance to embrace his son, to accept his son, to come into his kingdom, but his patience has a limit. And when you reject his son, there's no more grace left. When Christ comes back or when you die, if you've rejected his son, there's no next opportunity for you to embrace him in the afterlife. This is your opportunity. And he's giving you chances now to embrace Christ. What are you doing with those chances? How long will you reject his savior if you have done that? Next, Kyle taught the, the third week of the series and looked at what it means to be part of a family movement, that this kingdom that God has brought into play invites us to be citizens of his kingdom, but not just subjects under him, but he adopts us as children of God. So God makes us sons and daughters, that we have this rightful standing with God in his kingdom of being heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Like that's remarkable in and of itself that you would think that God would elevate you to the status to be a co-heir with his son. It doesn't mean that you're divine like Jesus is. It doesn't mean you have the same importance as Jesus. But God looks at you and he says, the same way that I think of my son and every good gift and every beneficial thing that I'm going to give to my son in eternity, I'm going to give to my children as well. You become co-heirs with Christ. 
And so that's a powerful thing. Then last week we talked about how nothing can stop the advancement of the kingdom. That the kingdom of God continues to grow, continues to multiply, and while all of the other kingdoms of the earth will be destroyed and will ultimately find their end, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is perpetual, it's eternal, it never ends. And so that's the kingdom you want to be a part of. You don't necessarily want to put all your bags uh, or eggs in the basket of Babylon or Rome or Greece or Persia. You don't want to put it in the Great Britain. You don't want to put it in the United States and go, well, my citizenship in heaven is totally attached to my citizenship as a kingdom of the United States, right? Like, because I belong here, God must be good with me. No, that's not how it works. He goes, my kingdom will endure forever, and you need to be in my kingdom by embracing my son and his rule and his reign. And so that's where we've been in this series. Today, we're going to talk about one more thing. And we're going to look at a set of parables that Jesus taught and see the value of God's kingdom. Because there's a lot of things that we put value on. So we need to understand how this value system works. Right? So our uh, life group, several weeks ago, we were doing a study called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a guy named John Mark Comer. He wrote a book. It's incredible. Uh, if you're using our Right Now Media stuff through the church, you can also find his teaching on the Right Now Media app. Uh, and you can check those videos out. But in one of the weeks, he talked about how we get to a place of discipleship with Jesus that really elevates how we follow him because we live with simplicity. And he really challenged us to think about getting rid of some of the things in our life that we call valuable and holding on to so much materialistic stuff so that we can take our focus and our attention off the materialism and put it on Christ and live for him. And so in that series, here's what we found is that most American homes, the average American home has 300,000 items in the home, right? Now, for those of you who are moms with little kids this morning, you're like, that's the toys, right? That's just the toys. That's 300,000 pieces of Lego and toys. Like, that's what it feels like sometimes. But the average home has about 300,000 items in it. And so we asked people in our life group, hey, if, if you came home this afternoon and when you pulled up, you found that your house was on fire, what would be the things of significance and value to you that you would run into a burning house to save and to try to get? And guess what? Nobody said, man, I would go up and try to get my Tempur-Pedic mattress and get that thing out of the house. Like that is so comfortable and I just love sleeping on that thing and it just helps me get my night's rest and I would have to go into the house and get that, right? Nobody said that. Nobody said, well, I'm going to need the couch out of my living room. Like that, it's got reclining chairs on it, it rocked, like I've got this nice couch and I got to get that thing out of the house, right? It is mine. Got my seat where I sit. Got to save it. Nobody said that. Nobody said anything about material stuff like that. Do you know what everybody said in our group? What would you say? I'm going to go back in and I'm going to get the pictures. I'm going to get my wedding album. I'm going to get those pictures that are significant to me. I'm going to go to the drawer that has the pictures of all my kids in it. I'm going to grab that drawer. And some of you are like, why would you grab a drawer with pictures in it? Aren't they all digital, right? Well, not for some of us. We're still <laughs> printing these things out and saving them up, right? And so uh, it's not on the cloud. It's in a drawer. So I'm going to save those things. Why? I can't get that back. I, I can't go back and have my wedding day again and get those pictures again. I'm going to save that. Like it's the memories, it's the things of that that are of value to me. And so when we turn that idea and we go, well, when it comes to the kingdom, what value does the kingdom of God hold in your life? What value does God's kingdom have for you? That you would say, it's worth more than anything else. I have to get the kingdom. If I, get, if I get everything else in the world, but I miss the kingdom, then I've lost out. Jesus said, hey, what good does it do if a man gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? So if we miss out on the kingdom, we miss out on everything. And so that's what Jesus is going to point us to this morning. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 13. 
And Jesus is going to teach two parables here, back to back. They're very similar, but I want us to see the importance of these things. And so in verse 44, here's what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had, and he bought it. So Jesus basically says the same thing uh, twice, but with some subtle differences here. And I want us to see this, that it's a big deal to belong to God's kingdom. But not everyone is going to find themselves in this kingdom. We're going to look at a passage at the end of this morning that's going to highlight that idea that God is going to separate those who belong and those who don't. But for this parable and these teachings, he gives us two things to look at, that the kingdom of God is not like earthly kingdoms. If you could see this kingdom, you would sell everything that you have. You would do whatever it takes to get in to this kingdom. And so here's what he gives us perspective on. There's a treasure hidden in a field. And so in the first parable, Jesus said that a man found a treasure hidden in a field. He just kind of stumbled upon it, right? Like he's not looking for it. He just happened upon this treasure and it's there in the field and he just gets it, right? Then the second parable says that there was a man who was a merchant. It's his job to be out looking for some things. And he's looking for a pearl of significance and great value and price. And when he finds it, he sells everything that he has so he can keep that, right? So you've got one guy who just kind of stumbles onto the treasure. You've got another guy who's looking for it. But both of them, when they find it, have the exact same response. I've got to get rid of everything else that I have to make sure this becomes of of most priority to me and of most significance to me and of the greatest value to me. So when we look at it, here's what we know. When they find the treasure, they recognize its value and they sold all that they had to get it. So I want to read you just an article that I found last week. It's from several years ago, but I found this this week. Uh, And here's what it says. In February 2013, a Northern California couple were walking their dog in their backyard. And while casually walking around, they spotted something in the moss under the shadow of an old tree. A closer inspection revealed it to be the edge of a rusty can. After digging it out, they found a hoard of 1,427 gold coins, adding up to $31,000. There were six cans in total, containing coins in $5, $10, and $20 U.S. denominations. All the coins were dated from 1847 to 1894. And according to experts, most of the coins found in the can were in uncirculated mint conditions. Some of them were so rare that they fetched more than $1 million apiece. The net worth of the coins were estimated to be around $11 million, right? That's a good day walking your dog. (laughs) Like to just be like, hey, I just kind of stumbled upon these cans in my yard. I dug them up and what I found was all these coins and they didn't go, hey, you know what? These cans would look really great on a shelf in our house. Let's just take these and set them inside and we'll kind of forget about them. And I guess it'll just kind of be a topic of conversation. If anybody ever comes over, we'll go, what's with the cans on your shelf? And you're like, oh yeah, we found those in the yard one day. Like they didn't do that. They found the cans with gold coins and they took them to be estimated. Hey, tell us what this is worth. We want to know the value of these things. And they're fortunate that they did because it ended up giving them millions of dollars for their name, right? Like going 11 million bucks. Because they found something of great significance. They weren't looking for it. They just happened upon it. And it's great that they did that. And so when we think about the context of what Jesus is talking about here, he's saying that there are some people who are going to find the kingdom of God, not because they're actively pursuing Jesus, not because they're looking for that. They're just going to kind of stumble upon the kingdom of God. 
And here's what that might look like. It might be that they're just going through their normal life and then someone who loves Christ enters into their world. You become a friend of this person and you just start sharing the gospel with them. They're not looking for the gospel. They're not looking for Christ. But a a God-loving person, a Christ-following person comes into their life and just starts sharing the truth. Or it might be that you invite a lost colleague to come to an event that your life group is doing. There's a cookout or something like that and you just invite them to come and hang out. And in the process of hanging out with your friends in your life group, they start going, man, these, these people are actually kind of cool. They're not anything like I thought Christians were going to be like. And so I want to know more about this. And, and they weren't looking for Jesus, but because they started interacting with you and your group, they start finding him. Or maybe they just are on vacation one night and they're in a hotel and they're just kind of bored. And instead of turning on the TV, they open a drawer and find a Gideon Bible that's in a drawer. And they just start, for whatever reason, they, they can't even explain just reading the Bible and they can't put it down as they find out about the story of Jesus. They just start having their life changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. They weren't looking for that, but they found it. God can work in any measure of ways to bring his kingdom into the lives of other people. Even if they're not looking for it, God can introduce himself. We're hearing stories all the time in the Muslim world right now of people who are having dreams of Jesus. Jesus is just introducing himself to people in dreams and thousands of Muslims are coming to faith in Christ because of dreams and visions that God is giving to them. They've never read the Bible, they've never met a Christian, but Jesus is revealing himself to them in powerful ways and they're coming into this faith in Christ. God can bring people into his kingdom any way he desires to do so, even if they're not looking for it. Right, so that's what Jesus, I think, is trying to say. And I love what Jesus says in connection with this, with this parable. He goes, when the man finds the treasure buried in the field, he hid it again, and in his joy, he went and saw all he had, and he bought that field, right? So selling everything that he had to buy the field wasn't sad for him. What is the word Jesus uses there? He goes, in his joy, he went and, and sold all that he had and bought the field. He's going, I know what's in the field, and it's better than what I already have. I'll, I'll sell this stuff that I have at my house and get all of the proceeds and the money from that so I can buy this because this is better. And you have to imagine that his friends and family members are watching him and going, why in the world are you going to buy that field? It is a terrible field. That is, there's a reason that, that field is for sale. Nobody wants anything to do with it. So one of the things that I learned and saw when I was in Israel recently was that Israel is a rock. Like that's it. Every piece of land is just covered in rocks. And to do anything there, you have to cultivate the land. You have to remove the rocks. You have to do all this hard work to be able to get anything to grow at all or to raise animals on the property. And so if this guy's buying this field that's just covered in rocks and it's just dirt field and his friends and family are going, what, do you know how hard you're going to work to have to get anything to grow there? You can't plant almond trees there. You can't plant olive trees there. You can't do anything to raise sheep there. Like it is a useless field. And the guy's going, I know, isn't it great? Like I can't wait to sell everything I have because I know something that you don't know. Buried in that field is a treasure that's immensely worth more than what I currently have. And the reason Jesus tells this parable in this way, it would have made sense to his audience. Because for them, this would not have necessarily been a completely uncommon occurrence. Jerusalem as a city was besieged multiple times over the years leading up to Christ being on earth. You think about how many kingdoms conquered Israel in the time before Jesus and how many transitions of power there had been. And so when a new kingdom would come in to invade Israel, what would the people do? They would go, man, I've got to take everything that I have. And if I want to keep this at all for myself and hope hope to have this at some point in the future, if they leave me alive, I've got to bury this in a cave or I've got to dig a hole and plant buried in a field. 
And then years later, people might find that treasure. They might find those belongings. They would stumble upon it. Right? And here was the deal. If you found it and you turned it in to show people, hey, I found this treasure, if it wasn't your field, you would have to share half of that with the person who owned the field. So Jesus says about this guy, when he found the treasure, what did he do? He buried it again. He's like, let's make sure nobody else knows about this. He buries it, and then in his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has and goes to the guy who owns the field and goes, you know that totally useless, wasted field you have over there that nobody wants to do anything with, that doesn't support life at all? How about you let me buy that from you? And I'm sure the guy's like, thank you. Somebody take that field off of my hands. And this guy's going, I would love to. Thank you very much, right? And the whole deal is he's going, I will give up everything because I know this is more valuable than what I have. There's a treasure there that you don't know about. So it's important. It's in value. And God's kingdom should bring us great joy. And then the second thing that we find is this pearl. When we turn to the second parable, we find this other scenario. And in this one, there's a merchant who's looking for fine pearls, right? Like the guy's job as a merchant is to go out and dive and find pearls. And it says, but when he found one of significance, he sold everything that he had so he could buy it and have it for himself. So there are some people in our world who are looking for the answers to life who are saying, man, I don't know who Christ is, but I'm looking for something. I just know that in my heart and in my life, it doesn't matter what I try, I still feel empty. It doesn't matter how much drugs I do. It doesn't matter how much money I gain. It doesn't matter uh, how, how many relationships that I have. It doesn't matter how popular I become. At the end of it all, I still feel empty. And I'm looking for something to fill that void. I'm looking for something to fill the emptiness in me. And people will try everything in the world to fill up the emptiness inside of them. And even when it comes to religion, there are people who will go, well, man, I'll I'll try, I guess I'll try Buddhism, and I'll try Hinduism, and I'll try secularism, and I'll try atheism. I'll try, like, I will try whatever it is to fill my life. I'll look at these other religious principles, and I'll find something to fill me up. And eventually, God will lead them to go, well, I guess I've tried everything else. I'll try Christianity. And I'm searching for something to fill me up. And so many people who have this story of going, when I found Jesus... My life was changed forever. All of the emptiness, all of the void, all of the heartache, all of the stuff that used to leave me just desolate and alone and feeling reproach and shame and guilt, all of that disappeared when I filled up my life with Christ. Because Jesus is worth more than everything else that I have. And when I found him, it changed the whole game. So when we read these two parables that Jesus teaches, here's the big thing that I want to take away from this. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Being in God's kingdom has immeasurable value. So we should do whatever it takes to be part of his kingdom. If you're not in his kingdom today, do whatever it takes to get there. Get rid of whatever else you have that you've attached your life to that you think has value and worth to you to say, I want Jesus and I want more of him and I want his kingdom. I want his rule and his reign in my life. No matter what it costs you, embrace Jesus. But the reality is not everyone will see value in being in God's kingdom. The kingdom of this world and our personal kingdoms, they're so strong in pulling us in different directions that, that cause us to miss God's kingdom. We have to fight this, even as Christians, we have to fight to really stay focused in on and allegiant to Jesus and his kingdom. 
So I want to put some contrasting things up on the screen for you to see this morning as we talk about the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God and these two contrasting things, these competing ideas where we're going, the kingdom of the world is going to say one thing, the kingdom of God is going to say another. There's going to be two different invitations into these kingdoms where you can stay in one place or you can move to another. And so here's the first thing that we see in the kingdom of the world. It's that it is a very self-centered and individualistic kingdom. Man, this kingdom is about me. And what can I get? And how do I have things for me? And and how does it benefit me? And what do I want? And it's very self-centered and it's very individualistic. You're the center of the kingdom. right? Then you've got the kingdom of God, which is this. The kingdom of God is Christ-centered and it's family-focused or others-focused. That you're going, this is not about me. This is about putting Christ at the center, making him the object of worship. He's the one that we're going to focus on. It's all about him. And it's not just about me and what he wants to do in my life. It's about we. We corporately have this relationship with Jesus. He's changing us. He's calling us as family into something new and unique and different and powerful. It's not just about kind of shaping a self-centered Christianity for you to go, well, I have my relationship with Jesus and I don't need anybody else because it's just me and Jesus. And we're just cool like that. And we're really tired and it's just me and it's just him and that's fine that's all I want and God goes no 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 it's a family thing it's about us Christ is at the center but he calls a family together and he gives us the invitation to come to him together then we go back to the kingdom of the world and here's what we find we're going to see that it caters to comfort like the kingdom of the world is going to go hey get as comfortable as you can Have as much cushion as you can. Get as much wealth as you can. Be as comfortable as you can. Don't try to do anything that's going to cause you heartache and pain and frustration and be difficult. Like just comfort. Get that. Then we move to the kingdom of God, and here's what we find. It's going to be an invitation for us to suffer for Christ. Yeah, that's one of the hard ones for us. Why do we want to suffer for Christ when we could have comfort? And yet we see Jesus and his invitation to follow him to go, hey, take up your cross daily. Die to yourself follow me. The invitation to be a follower of Christ is to suffer with him. Paul even said it in the letter that we read earlier in Philippians, I want to know Christ and to fellowship with him in his suffering. That's the goal. It's part of being in his kingdom is to know what it means to suffer alongside of him and with him and to know that he's with us through our suffering. But then we go back to the kingdom of the world and here's what we find. We hold tight to personal rights like I've got to have my rights, and I'm going to fight for my rights, and I'm going to do everything for me and my rights. I'm going to very much hold up, uh, not Jesus, but the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. And I'm going to make sure that my rights are provided for, and I'm going to fight for those things. And that's fine. There's an aspect and a place for that within our country. But if that becomes the kingdom that you're most focused on, you're going to miss some glorious things that God wants to do in your life. Because here's the kingdom of heaven's invitation. Lay down your rights. You have no rights. You didn't vote for Jesus to be king. He is king. You don't have power or authority over him to go, well, I don't like how you're ruling, Jesus. We're going to probably vote in somebody else next time around. Like, you're not holding up the things, right? My rights are important. And Jesus is going, you don't really have rights in my kingdom. You're loved by me, and there's grace for you, and there's mercy towards you. But if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to lay down some rights. You're going to have to surrender it all in order to embrace my rule and reign in your life. Then here's the next thing that we find in the kingdom of the world, that Jesus is an advisor. 
There's a lot of people who go, well, man, I kind of like this idea of Jesus. I'm okay with him. I believe he was a real person. I don't think he was the son of God, but I think that he probably was somebody who was wise and he was a good teacher and he had nice things to say on the same level as Buddha or Muhammad or Confucius or something like that. He's just a really good moral teacher. And I'll take his teachings into advice in the way that I live out my life. But if I don't like some of the things that he says, I don't have to take those things into advice because Jesus has no rule or reign or authority over me. Then the kingdom of God would say this, that Jesus is king, that he's ruler, that he's Lord, that he's sovereign, that what he says goes. Then he goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to instruct you in how to live. I'm not an advisor. I'm going to tell you how to live. I'm going to give you the path, and I'm going to call you to take it. And then here's the last one. For the kingdom of, God, of the world, God's word is optional. And we're just going, well, I'll, I'll, you know, I don't really need to read the Bible. I don't really need this. It, it doesn't have any authority in my life. Here's the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. God's word is essential. That if we're going to be citizens of God's kingdom, then we have to know what his word says. And there's far too many of us as Christians who are anemic spiritually because we do not read his word ever. This is how we absorb God's word. We come and we sit in this room and we listen to somebody talk about it. And then we take that and we go, well, I guess I'm full for the week now and I'll come back next week and get another meal. Can you imagine if you did that with real food? If you went, well, I'll just eat once a week and that will sustain me. No, it won't. God's word, if you're going to be a citizen of his kingdom and if you're really going to live under his lordship and under his rule and his reign, his word is essential to you. You have to know it. You have to be transformed by it. You have to listen to what it says and submit yourself to it. The Spirit of God changes us and moves in us through His Word. It's essential to your life. If you're not reading it, you're missing out on the power that God has for your life. So find time in your daily schedule to sit down with God's Word, to read it, and then to ask God, what do you want me to do after hearing that? How do I I understand that? And what are you calling me to do as a result of it? Is there something that I'm supposed to change? Is there something that I'm supposed to do differently because of what I've just seen here and read here? Show me who you are. Let me understand more about who you are so I know how to live under your lordship and under your rule and reign. God gives us his word so we'll know him and be able to follow him. It's essential for us. But then Jesus tells one more parable that connects into this teaching. I want us to look at verses 47 through 52. And here's what Jesus says. He says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and it caught all kinds of fish. And when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but they threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right now, I'm going to be the first to admit that this is hard and no one likes to talk about these kinds of things in connection with our relationship with God. Like we would love to be like, hey, God just accepts everybody. It's all love all the time and it doesn't matter what you've ever done. It doesn't matter if you've rejected his rule and reign in your life. In this world, he's still going to let you into his kingdom. And yet Jesus teaches over and over and over again that that's not the case. That there's going to be a day of separation when Jesus will return and he will find those who have been covered in his righteousness, who have been covered in his grace, who have accepted his rule and reign in their lives and who have come into the kingdom and he'll invite them to be with him forever. 
But for those who have rejected his rule and reign in this world, who don't want nothing to do with his kingdom, who have no desire to, to have a relationship with him, he separates them out and they're separated from him forever. And Jesus says this is going to be a terrible thing. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth involved in it. It's not going to be a pleasant day. And it's not that God takes joy in separating people away from him, but he's going to give you what you ultimately wanted in the first place. You don't want a relationship with him in life. You're not going to enjoy a relationship with him for eternity. And Jesus is very clear. There'll come a day of separation where he'll take those, and we're all swimming in the same pond right now, but he'll take the fish who have the covered righteousness of Christ who are following him, and he'll invite them into his kingdom forever. And he'll take those who are unrighteous and unruly and have no desire for his reign in their life, and he'll separate them from him forever. So we need to be aware of these things as we understand God's kingdom, rejecting Jesus and resisting the rule and reign of God in your life will ultimately cost you for eternity. And that's why it's so vital for us to live as citizens who represent God and his kingdom well. Like if we're thinking about this and we're going, man, as a citizen of God's kingdom, what does it mean for me to take a message of God's grace that he doesn't condemn people, that he wants to offer them forgiveness, that he wants to give them a place in his kingdom, that he's inviting them in, but they have to surrender to him and submit to him. So how are we living as citizens of God's kingdom? And then this morning, I'm just going to end with a story, and then we're going to sing one last song together today as we uh, kind of close up our time. But I wanted to think back to Easter just a few weeks ago. And so we kind of did this teaching series focused on the life of Jesus and what he was like and, uh, and how he lived out uh, the, the kingdom of God on this world and then invited people to follow him. And then now we've been focusing on his kingdom and his rule and his reign in our lives. And at Easter, we had a few events that surrounded that celebration and that holiday. And, and so we did a couple of things. One, we had what we call a Monday, Thursday service. And on Monday, Thursday, somebody from our creative team said, man, wouldn't it be an awesome idea if tonight before we end, as part of Easter this year, we ask people to, to take a piece of paper and just write down names of their loved ones, their friends, their coworkers, who they know are in a relationship with, but those people do not have a relationship with Jesus. And then on Saturday, we came back together as a church and we laid those names all across the front of the altar here, just like they are today, these same names that are back at our altar today. And on that Saturday night when we came together to pray, people just knelt at this altar and took cards and they prayed over these names, just asking Jesus to reveal himself through the power of his spirit to make himself known to these people so that they would embrace his kingdom rule and his kingdom reign. And then on Easter morning, we celebrated, we worshiped together. On Monday, right after Easter, I got a text from a lady in our church here. Her name's Lisa Smith. Lisa's husband, Tom, passed away earlier this year. We had his funeral here at the church, a celebration of life for him. And his family and friends gathered together and some people from different places in the country had come in to be a part of that. And, and Lisa wrote this to me on the Monday after Easter. She said, hey, Pastor Joel, I wanted to share some huge praise information. Right after my sister-in-law was here visiting for Tom's funeral, I really felt led to write her a letter and ask her about eternity. I know Tom was concerned about her salvation and her husband. Well, long story short, I just heard from her and she got my letter and both she and her husband prayed to receive Christ. Two names that were on the altar on Saturday accepted Christ. And I just want to share my joy. 
Listen, church, God is still moving in people's lives. God is doing something to extend his grace to people and invite people into his kingdom. And so as we get to this place now, as we kind of close up this series and and move to this this next thing that we're going to be focusing on, I want you to understand that you have to ask yourself the same question that that Lisa's family did. Man, am I in God's kingdom or not? And you need to be able to answer that question with 100% certainty. Man, am I in God's kingdom or am I still holding on to all this kingdom of the world stuff and my kingdom and my desires and my rule and my reign? Do I see God's kingdom as having ultimate value or is there other things that I think are more important and more valuable than God's kingdom? And if you can't answer that question with 100% certainty, then today before you leave here, I just want to ask you as we sing this last song, man, cry out to God in your heart and just invite him to come in and be king of your life. Ask him to transfer you from the kingdom of darkness, from the kingdom of the world, into his kingdom of light and to move you into a new status with him where he's Lord and Savior and King. And you get to be a privileged child of his family. That's what he wants for you. That's what he desires. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.